Dwayne Dunn has had a very strong presence among Melbourne's leading jockeys since making the move from Adelaide about 10 years ago. He was born in Adelaide, grew up on Kangaroo Island where horses were a major part of his life and then he went back to Adelaide to become apprentice to trainer John Hall. Dwayne had his first race ride exactly 30 years ago at Seduna but he was destined to have another 68 rides before that a loser first winner came along. It was a horse called Whisper On in a 1,900-metre maiden at Gawler. Another 2,000 winners have followed, 24 of them at Group 1, including four consecutive Blue Diamond victories. Dwayne keeps super fit. He's one of Victoria's hardest-working jockeys, and he often rides at three or four meetings a week. Believe it or not, I've never had the pleasure to interview Dwayne Dunn before, so I am absolutely delighted to welcome him to the podcast. Thanks for your time, Dwayne. Oh, absolute pleasure. Um, as, you, as you alluded to, we haven't really crossed paths, but you played a big part of me uh, in the racing industry, listening to the dulcet tones of your voice coming through, uh, especially on those Sports Sunday shows. And Dwayne, it was a long time ago. Yeah, there's plenty of water gone under the bridge for both of us, for sure. You had a great tutor in John Hall who learned his craft, I believe, from Bart Cummings. Yes, that's correct. He uh, was a very tough man. He's, um, he had very strict rules, and uh, but uh, he put me in good stead for later on in the future. But uh, John was a very good horseman. He looked after some great horses for Bart, like uh, Golden Black and, mm. um, you know, all those great Melbourne Cup horses, Think Big. And so he's, uh, he had a great upbringing. He was a, he was a guy from Hawker, um, from the bush, but um, he was a very good horseman in his own right. Early in your career, you had a six-month stint in Perth with trainer Wally Mitchell, who only recently retired. Yeah, Wally, he's um, he's a, a strange man. He, uh, he he was able to come up onto the scenes with a horse like Placid Arc. Um, Wally was another great trainer, and uh, we keep in touch to, till today. And uh, yeah, he he showed me a lot. Um, showed me a, the Wild West, as as it's well known. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Wally's a great trainer, and now he's he's just stepped aside. And uh, yeah, he played a big big role in racing in in WA, and then bringing Placid Arc to Melbourne. It was late 1997, early 98, when a trainer called Russell Cameron got you to go with him to Melbourne with a very good sprinter called Toledo, later to win two Group 1s. Now, you won first up on Toledo in the Scalacci Stakes, and that must have given you a good taste of Melbourne racing. Yes, correct. We we, we respected Melbourne so much, and... um yeah, it was, uh, it's a hard school, um, but to bring a horse like him across from Adelaide and um, produce him at Caulfield in that race is, um, was really special. And, yeah, Toledo played a big part. He was um, – I, I was able to ride him his first um, real serious gallop and you knew from day one how good he was. And, yeah, yeah to go to the, the high group one levels was outstanding. You ran second on him in a new market too, Dwayne. Yeah, certainly did. Um was a chestnut horse, I think I beat. Um, maybe Wayne Harris or uh, someone beat me down the straight. I can't remember. Mm. The, the name of the horse escapes me at this point in time. But, yeah, it was a very good sprinter that beat me on that day. And uh, Was it all yeah, our mob? Um, no, I don't think it was him. It was, um, yeah. yeah, as I say, I can't remember his name. Anyway. But it was a very good sprint race um, through mm. the carnival. 
Well, in the time you were there, a trainer called Tony Noonan was a wonderful help to you, and I notice you still ride on a regular basis for Tony. Yeah, Tony's um, he's a very good trainer. He uh, came through. He had a big string of horses back then. He was probably 80 to 100 horses he had in work, and um, he was a great supporter of mine. And, um, yeah, he, he still supports me to this day, or, or the Monoblanic um, for him, which is a very nice horse, and he's one you can follow into the future. He should be winning again shortly. Fate dealt your family a very cruel and unexpected blow during that time, Duane, when your wife Amanda was diagnosed with a brain tumour. The family was turned upside down. Yeah, it was a, it was a dark day, but, um, you know, some things are put in front of us to challenge us, and um, I think it's made us better people in the long run, and we've come out, and um, on top of it all now, everything's all positive. So mm. um, at the time, was yeah, um, was hard to, to take, but you work through it, you bond together, and um, I think although I thought it was a very big turning point for my career, um, I didn't want, didn't be, get the opportunity to achieve what I wanted to. Um, in, in hindsight, when you look back, it actually turned it the other way. I was very positive and it, it gave me the opportunity to grow and um, develop after the back, off the mm. back of that. Well, Amanda recovered well and has remained in good health and very good spirits. And you're telling me, uh, Duane, that she was a fine exponent of the show jumping art. Yeah, very good show rider in her own right. And um, yeah, her, her whole family were pretty well tied up with that scene. So um, I suppose Dylan was destined to, to be a rider as well. So he had uh, pedigree on both sides of the family. And um, yeah, no, that's definitely transpired across. And um, yeah, it's been been great to be able to work together with horses and um, as a family. And uh, we've, we've learned a lot and you keep learning with them. You began the year 2000 with a bang in a freakish purple patch. You rode 34 winners in 13 race meetings. Amazing. And that yeah. prompted a call from the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Yeah, it was a really, as I said, when um, the Melbourne thing had finished and I thought my opportunity for Hong Kong wasn't there and uh, – yeah, to have that month, I just had to pinch myself. I was riding trebles, fours, mm. 13 consecutive meetings in a row to ride 34. It was just outstanding, and I think that's what uh, really made the people from Hong Kong stand up and take notice. And John Shrek actually rang me from Hong Kong, and he said, I think uh, you better put in an application for a, for a contract in Hong Kong, which I did, and uh, that's what opened the doors for me onto the international stage. Three weeks after you arrived there, old lady luck turned her back. You were involved in a very nasty fall, which left you with three fractured vertebrae, three months on the sidelines. Yeah, that was – it's a pretty tough school when I, when I first got there. Um, you know, a bloke like Eddie Murtar, who was um, – you know, he'd ridden 26 group winners through Europe for the season. He was flat out getting a ride track work. It's that hard. And um, mm. here I was turning up from the bush and um, into the big city. And I always said it's like I went from the size of Kangaroo Island back to an island the same size, but the population was was multiplied. Mm. Um, but the opportunity there and a horse, the actual leader broke down at um, Happy Valley on a Wednesday night and um, – the apprentice behind that horse tried to go in up underneath it and inside it and 
we all just come tumbling down. So that's uh, oh, yeah. it was unavoidable, and I had to just cartwheel over the top. And um, mm. yeah, the uh, ramifications weren't great. Um, some time off in the sidelines, but um, yeah, I thought once again that Hong Kong was finished. A little exposure to it, but um, yeah, it wasn't going to be that good. Well, you came home, of course, to recover, and when it was time to ride again, you actually reapplied for your licence in Hong Kong, but they wanted to have a look at you first, and you had a very, very good first day back. Yeah, it was uh, at Cheltenham. Um, sad to see that Cheltenham's not there anymore, but um, was a very, very good track to me, that um, Cheltenham. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I ended up riding three winners for the day. I rode a winner for Dad at 150 to 1, and, um, yeah, the phone was ringing when I got back to the car. I remember the old days. It was when you used to have them actually wired into your car and you had to be actually driving the car for someone to call you. So, mm. um Back in memories, and uh, yeah, the call from Hong Kong Jockey Club, um, they delivered that to me and said, listen, you, you can have your contract back, and uh, mm. the Chinese mentality is is when you get something bad happen to you, you've got something very good coming, so yeah. um, when, I went, when I went back there, I got super support, and um, I basically, was, although I was contracted to Hong Kong Jockey Club, I rode as number two rider for David Hayes, so Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great opportunity be- behind the greats of Basil Marcus and um, Jared Mosse. So mm-hmm. I was able to learn my trade, not be in the hot seat, but um, be able to develop off the back of that, and it was a lovely experience. John Size was just kicking off, uh, Dwayne, during that time, and I think you rode John's very first winner in Hong Kong. Yes, I did. Um, I was fortunate enough to see a lot of John Size in Australia from afar, and never actually met him or ridden for him and um yeah I was, he took me under my wing when i got there and um we were able to develop something together shane Dye was his major rider but um i was fortunate enough to ride his first winner and john's probably one of the best trainers i've ever ridden for he he's the hardest working he's the first one in the stable the last one to leave and um mm. he gets this special thing about him that he, he spends so much time with the horse he can actually start to work out what it's thinking how it's feeling and um he has that real bonding with them he's not a um a hands-off trainer he's really hands-on and he works really hard with them he's not as good with the the young horses and the babies but the older horses getting them physically and mentally right is his great asset and um the results just speak a million words for him Mm. when you finally resettled in adelaide after a very good four years in hong kong you were appointed number one jockey for the Lindsay Park operation with an assurance that you'd be number two jockey with their Melbourne team. Yeah, that's correct. I got offered the number one job, but I, I just wasn't um, really keen for it. I had that pressure of Hong Kong. I wanted to just take some time out and just, just sit outside of the spotlight for a while. And, um, yeah, Craig Williams took the number one job in Melbourne and I, I went back to the Adelaide operation and uh, that's obviously where all the babies come through and they get started um, up mm. at uh, Angerston. And I was fortunate enough to be able to work with some very high-quality um, thoroughbreds and, you know, some really, really good horses and uh, able to be out of the spotlight but still get the opportunity to ride number two on the weekends coming to Melbourne and then still ride in Adelaide through the week. So uh, it's a pretty easy job sitting number two because if they win, you're a legend, and if they get beaten, well, they're 
the <laughs> number one rider was meant to win and you you weren't. So yeah. it's a pretty cruisy job. And uh, But sometimes, as you know, when a jockey gets a choice of two horses, nine times out of ten, they usually pick the wrong one. So sitting mm-hmm. number two is not a bad position for sure. Another trainer came into the equation around this time, uh, Duane, by the name of Mark Kavanagh, who was still in Adelaide, and he supplied your first Group 1 winner in Australia. You had won a Group 1 on Charming City in Hong Kong. This was a cult called Undoubtedly. It was the Blue Diamond of 2005, and he trotted in. Yeah, he did that day. At, um, that was... I had to talk Mark into running him. He didn't want to run in the Blue Diamond. He wanted to go back to Adelaide. He didn't think the horse was going well enough. Mm. He ran fifth in the in the prelude leading in, and uh, I assured him, I said, a set of blinkers on this horse, and uh, the extra 100 metres distance will be all the difference we'll, we need. And, uh, mm. yeah, he absolutely walked in that day. I think I could start my celebrations at the 100. It, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great day. It was a great start um, for the Blue Diamond for me and it was, I had some pretty close friends that um, were owners in that horse so it was uh, extra special as well. Well that Blue Diamond win was the start of a unique sequence for you because you won the next three Blue Diamonds on the trot. Nadim, Sleek Chassis and Rian, all trained by David Hayes. Four diamonds straight. Yeah, it was just, uh, I, I used to get there on that day and I, I don't know what it was, it was like grand final day and uh, just get in a zone and it was all happening. Nadim actually beat Miss Finland, uh, he nearly fell on the corner and um, picked himself back up and was able to run on by Miss Finland who was mm. the you know champion three-year-old and um, yeah, so that was the beginning of it. Um, sleek chassis, I, I had nothing to do with her leading into it, into that race but David Hayes assured me that she would run extremely well, and and then the last one, Rian, I'd done a, I'd won the lead up races on him. I, I liked him, and um, yeah, he was able to get the job done. They're all, they're all about sort of fifteen to one chances, the whole four of them. And um, mm. one, there's a really interesting stat that comes out of it that of those four that won the Blue Diamond, not one of them won another race after that. So Good heavens. It's a really freaky stat that, uh, yeah, they never won another race. Mm. When you took Maka Ina, trained by Lee Friedman, onto the track for the 2009 Diamond, you were shooting for a world record, Dwayne. No rider in the world had ever won the same Group 1 race five years running. No, that's correct. It was uh, pretty special. I think Shane Dyer done it in the slipper. Um, four straight, yeah. Four straight going for five, but just couldn't do it. And, um, yeah, it was something really special. It could have happened for me because I'd, I'd won on reward for effort in the lead-up race, but I had to give him back as mm. Luke Nolan was stable rider for Peter Moody. And um, another, I had to talk in Freeman's to run back in, uh, in that race because um, it looked like I wasn't going to have a ride. So mm. uh, they, they were... They said that uh, I may need to pay up for the horse to to run because they didn't think it would uh, <laughs> be worthy of a of a start. And I said, no, it'll run really well in the race. And um, mm. yeah, so I, I had to talk them into it, and I think she ended up running third. So mm. close, but no cigar. Yep, Dwayne, I'll just get you to hold on there. We're going to pause for a quick break on the podcast. Back in a moment with one of Australia's top jockeys, Dwayne Dunn. 
The 2019 English Premier Yearling Sale will be held at Oaklands Junction in Melbourne where 786 lots have been catalogued for four days of selling between the 3rd and the 6th of March. The Premier Sale has produced some of Australia's best performers in the last year, including Group 1 winning two-year-olds written by and Seabrook, four-time Group 1 winner Santa Anna Lane and the exciting three-year-old Ring-a-Ding-Ding. The 2019 Premier Catalogue is bursting with quality and features siblings to 73 stakes winners and eight Group 1 winners, including Boom Time, Shocking, Pinker Pinker and Seabrook. The sale will be held at a new look Oaklands complex, which is undergoing an $8 million refurbishment, making it one of the best auction houses in the world. The dates again, March 3rd to March 6th, and catalogues are available online at english.com.au or in hard copy for the 2019 Premier Yearling Sale. My special guest is Dwayne Dunn. Well, we mentioned Charming City being your first Group 1 winner in Hong Kong, but I think the race, the Group 1 win, Dwayne, that, as you say, was life-changing, was the 2006 Caulfield Cup on Torquit. Yeah, that, that was a real game-changer, that one. that um, probably didn't realise how big the media in Australia was. I'd, I'd seen it in Hong Kong, but I hadn't seen it in Australia, and... Uh, yeah, the phone calls and, um, you know, the opportunities you get off the back of that, the status you get in the racing community, that was a real game changer. That um, To win a major uh, was something very special and uh, that really changed my profile in the racing industry for sure. You'd won the Metropolitan on the same horse at Randwick. Yes, I did, uh, the lead-up race. And uh, that, that railings had done it one or two years before. Mm. It seemed to be a good lead-in race for the Caulfield Cup. Um, we, we thought he'd run well, but we were more excited about the Melbourne Cup. That was that was his major goal, but uh, you don't give away Caulfield Cups. You're happy to take them when they get presented to you, for sure. Mm. Well, you were absolutely shattered coming into the Melbourne Cup when the horse contracted a foot infection. They worked yeah. around the clock to get him to the barrier, but you took two strides and you knew he wasn't himself. Yeah, it was pretty uh, hard to swallow that day. I had uh, you know family and friends, everyone come to support you. You're on the $3 favourite for a Melbourne Cup and uh, my phone just went crazy uh, race morning. I wondered what was up and um, mm. I had to go in and trot him up in front of the vets and they'd said, oh, we're going to scratch him. We were able to convince them to run him. And David Hayes said to me, I just take him to the start and if he doesn't feel right, just get him scratched. And uh, $3 favourite in a Melbourne Cup, you're not going to do that. You just try and get him around. And uh, unfortunately, he was okay at, at slow speed, but at full full throttle, he had there's too much pain in that leg and he was yeah. unable to perform at his best. But, you know, you don't get too many opportunities to have a live chance in a Melbourne Cup, $3 chance. And, um, mm. yeah, it was hard to swallow that day, but that's racing. There's plenty of ups and downs. You've had quite a number of Melbourne Cup rides, Dwayne, with no luck. I think old Skybow finished close up one day, j- just behind the place getters, at one of his five Melbourne Cup outings, Skybow. Yeah, he was a freak, old Skybow. He could uh, not perform very well under 2,000 metres, but once he got to the two mile, he was a totally different horse. And Lenny Smith from Adelaide, who trained him, he'd done such a great job with him to keep backing him up uh, 
Sky Bo actually run third one year in the in the Melbourne Cup when Jason Holder rode him, but uh, I was able to ride him a few times, get him into the top ten, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was a he was a great ride in the Melbourne Cup. He used to take you around. Is um, you didn't need to steer him; he knew where he was going. He knew the occasion. So yeah, it was a great experience. And as you said, I've had a few rides in the race. I've finished in the first half more times than the second half, but uh, that elusive one is missing. But that's one of those. Uh, one of those boxes you want to tick, hopefully, before your career ends. Now, you had an offer from Lee Friedman not long after Torquich Melbourne Cup win, and the offer was to base yourself on that beautiful training property at Rye and assume the mantle of number one jockey. What an opportunity. Yeah, it was one that was a decision I couldn't take lightly. I had to uh, say, listen, it's, it's time to put your hand up and have a serious crack at it and uh, when Lee Friedman called and you know his record you thought well we're guaranteed one to five group ones a year and uh, get the opportunity to work with his horses down at Markdale Rye and um, you know he'd just been through the Maccabi Tiva stage and he was still quite a large trainer for the Dali now Godolphin operation so it was an opportunity I had to take and uh, I would have always kicked myself if I didn't make that move and I've seen someone else take that job on so yeah it was it was a great great um, decision maker for me to move out from South Australia to to Melbourne and settle myself down and um, I have no regrets at all for doing it. Oh you won a lot of races in that period. Yeah we had a really good run um, we, we weren't winning the majors but uh, we had we did a great job with a lot of the the juvenile horses and uh Winning plenty of races, just lacked a couple of Group 1 races that uh, didn't really present to us. So, um, yeah, really uh, had a good time working with them. The horse to give your Group 1 career an almighty boost was the brilliant All Too Hard, a half-brother by Casino Prince to Black Caviar. Lightly raced, he won 7 out of 12, Dwayne, which you'd be well aware of. You rode him in all seven. In fact, the only time you didn't ride him was in the Cox Plate uh, when you couldn't make the weight. Chris Munts ran second on him that day. But you won four Group 1s on All Too Hard, Caulfield Guineas, CFO Stakes, Futurity and the All Age Stakes, and your favourite win was the Caulfield Guineas. Yeah, the Caulfield Guineas was a special day. It was uh, two battle horses, Piero, All Too Hard, um, battling it out, the two heavyweights, and um, I was able to come out on top. I just was able to run over Piero with Nashville Wheeler on late. And, uh, yeah, he was such a special horse to me. I, the first time I actually sat on him, um, I, th- I thought in the back of my mind, he's, um, I think they've wasted their $1.2 million that they've spent on him. Mm. And uh, he was, the second time I jumped on him, it was like my, my hairs and my arms just stood up. He, just, mm. he was this remarkable horse that you just – you tell him or show him one thing once and you never have to ask him again. He knew exactly what to do. He was um, Had a just brain. such an – yeah, he was so intelligent. And um, he was always um, – because he was sitting in the sh- shadows of Black Caviar being a half-brother, he was it was never an easy life for him. So he had to, to step out of the, the shadow and um, make his own career, which he certainly did. And, you know, he went to Sydney a couple of times and got beaten and um, – uh, as the media up there can do, they were quite harsh on him, and he was actually carrying um, a couple of little niggling injuries that um, 
weren't really known by many people and uh, that's probably why he didn't perform to his best a couple of times up there. But when they, they got him fully right, yeah, to win all-age stakes and that, that, was, uh, that was very special that day and he probably lost... Probably lost a lot of the um, accolades he should have because that was the day that Jay and Singo were having their argument. So, mm. um, you know, he he was he was a special horse to me all um, all too hard and uh, yeah, definitely one of the best I've ever ridden. Chautauqua's retirement was well documented with a huge coverage on social media. What an enigmatic animal! Thirty-two <laughs> starts, thirteen wins, eleven placings. A paltry $8.8 million in prize money. Uh, I think you won the following races, Dwayne. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The Group 1 Lightning, two Gilgai Stakes, which is a Group 2, a Group 2 Mitty's McEwen, a Group 2 Rubiton, and uh, a Bobby Lewis quality. Six wins for you. Yeah, he was a great horse to me. He, yeah, as you say, he was not an easy horse to work with. He had to be gelded early. Uh, we, we we struggled to control him. He used to get uh, too aggressive in a lot of his trials and his track work. Uh, I got beaten on him his first start at Seymour. He um, got beaten by a horse called Nautilism, which was a group one placing. Mm. It's it's hard to say you go to a maiden and get beaten by a horse that just got beaten in a group one, but uh, he got beaten ahead that day. Then he went to... I think he went to Kitan, he got beaten in the maiden there, and then I think his third start he won easy at Geelong. So to come from where he did to end up, he's a talent and ability to just sit back, and then when he hit overdrive, his acceleration was awesome. Um, the, the day I won the Black Caviar Lightning Stakes, you know, he gave Terra Vista probably four or five links at the at the 100 metre mark and still was able to nail him on the line. So, yeah, he, he was a great horse, but uh, he, he had his quirky ways and he was hard to ride because some days he went into overdrive, some days he stayed there. And, you know, he was such an intelligent horse. He was at the stage where he even stayed in the barriers and, um, you know, he didn't want to race anymore. He was happy to step aside. And uh, it's unfortunate to see a horse go out that way, but, um, yeah, that's the way he ended his career, but great horse for myself and um, Team Hawks. Take him to Hong Kong and win an international race, and yeah, Rupert Lee and the rest of the connections had a super ride. Well, your son Dylan is a natural jockey, but he's had enormous problems with his weight, Dwayne. He was showing terrific promise early on when he fell ill and he had to give it away. What happened to him there? Did he just, uh, the, the wasting got the better of him? Yeah, it did there for a while. He won the the Melbourne Premiership and uh, was having to ride 54s most weekends. And as we do, we feed our children too well. And uh, he was he grew too big, and um, so he struggled with his weight. But it's something he's always wanted to do. And I always was trying to push him away from it, knowing that how hard the industry is and how dangerous it can be. But it was something that he wanted to do. He had the passion for it, and mm-hmm. to be able to to win a Melbourne Premiership. Um, was just really exciting times for us to see him develop as a rider and, yeah, just pushing his body so so hard he ended up um, with glandular fever and mm. his weight just escalated and I think he might have got up to about 70 kilos after he gave it away. But uh, mm. it's great to see him back now. He's got his weight under control. He rode 56 yesterday in a Group 2 race. So, 
um, you know, he's doing a fantastic job. Just before Christmas, he performed a remarkable feat at a Colac meeting. He had six rides for six wins. Now, you were at Flemington that day, Dwayne, so you'd be busy. You'd be in and out of the jockey's room. There'd be times you wouldn't be able to get to a monitor. But were you, were you keeping an eye on his progress? You'd have spies everywhere watching him. Uh, it did late in the day, early in the day. As you said, I, I hadn't seen any races. and uh, it was so I went to meet some owners before getting on a horse and uh, they informed me that I needed to pull my socks up because your son's just ridden three winners. Mm. Um, you need to, to ride some winners as well. And uh, so that sort of started the interest and it was it was a really great day for us. Everyone on course was watching and, um, yeah, it's coming up and saying to me, you know, he's, he's ridden four and then he's ridden five. And so we're all there. Everyone was glued to the monitors for the last race and, uh, yeah. To ride, to ride six was, was outstanding and uh, he actually, his best ride that he went for that day, they forgot to accept with it. So it was a probably a dollar fifty chance in a maiden. So <laughs> he could have actually ridden the card. Yeah. Um, but it was spe- very special times. When he rang me, he said, oh, have you ever done that? I said, yeah, I think so. But they, they didn't have any records of it because we didn't have computers back in those days. So no. <laughs> I was just teasing him. No, five's my best and, um, you know, six rides, six wins. That's good in anyone's book on any racetrack. He can dine out on that for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he certainly is too. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne, your daughter Jessica is 18. Does she have any attachment to racing? Yeah, she um, was a very good show rider and uh, when she's seen her brother having success and obviously the money that comes with it, she started to show a lot more interest in wanting to to be a jockey and uh i said oh that's fine well you can get get up early in the mornings and start riding track work and we'll see how you progress from there and uh Mm -hmm. so she did a couple of mornings and i was actually riding work with her one morning and she said to me after our first lap she said dad i can't do another lap my legs are hurting and Mm -hmm. i said no we're going another lap so we're on two-year-olds and we got halfway around in the dark and her horse just took off into the distance and i was like oh my god yeah where's this going to end she's going to crash around the other side mm. so i i couldn't chase after her because her horse would have went faster as well and uh, mm. so i just got around the other side there she was still on the horse bawling her eyes out <laughs> and says i don't want to do this anymore no. and i was like do you know what that was a really good morning. No one got hurt. She yeah. had a tried it, but um, it's not as easy as everyone might think it is. Oh, no, of course not. Well, you haven't won a Melbourne Jockeys Premiership, but you were very unlucky to lose one in, in one particular season, and you would have been filthy on yourself because a suspension cost you the title. Certainly has. I was, it's probably been something that's haunted me through my whole career. I don't know whether Malcolm Johnson put this in my mind with his records of suspensions but um yeah it was very costly wrong time at the end we're fighting it out with craig williams and yeah as you say i was dirty on myself that i'd thrown away a a super opportunity it was would have been something special dylan winning the uh, the apprentice title and myself winning the seniors title Uh, i don't think it would have been done too many times before but um yeah it was one that got away and I, i still kick myself today the the you know, for doing that, but uh, I suppose it gives you something to drive for and um, try and achieve it again. Mm. 
Well, of all the wonderful thrills you've received throughout a 30-year career, I think the one that gave you the biggest buzz of all was the night you were the recipient of the Scobie Breezley Medal. What an honour. Oh, absolutely is. It's, uh, you know, we have the Brownlow Medal in the AFL and, um, you know, to be our our medal and, um, you know, Scobie was such a fantastic rider in honour of him and, you know, it, it's a medal that's selected by your peers and um, to receive an award like that, respect from the industry to say that uh, job well done. So, yeah, I was, I was a very happy man that, that evening was great thinking that I wasn't going to win it because I didn't win the title, but um, to be able to win that medal was very special. Well, Dwayne, at age 45, you can look back on a very rewarding career. 2,000 winners, 24 Group 1s, but most of all, the respect of your contemporaries. You could rest on your laurels if you wanted to, but I get the distinct feeling you've got a few more goals on the agenda. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a few more boxes I need to tick before I would like to step aside. If they come to fruition or not, um, that's yet to be seen. But, yeah, it's been a career that um, I have ended up achieving a lot of things. I, I set out to achieve one thing, and that was to ride just a winner. So we've come a long way. It took a while to do that, but um, you never forget your first winner. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been a great career, and hopefully we can keep healthy and sound and uh, get a few more years to go yet. Dwayne, been a delight having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for your time. A pleasure. Thanks, John. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Monday, April 8th until Wednesday, April 10, 2019 are the dates for the English Australian Easter Yearling Sale, the most important and influential yearling sale in this part of the world. While the final catalogue isn't released until January, it's shaping to be one of the best ever. There's a three-quarter brother to the Autumn Sun, a full brother to Merchant Navy, a half-brother to Shoals, a full brother to Brazen Bow, a three-quarter brother to Lankan Rupee, a full sister to John Snow, a half-brother to Unforgotten, a half-sister to Catchy, a half-brother to Dundeal, a half-brother to I Victory, a half-sister to She Will Reign, a three-quarter brother to Seamus Award, and a half-brother to Pino. Stallions with progeny in the sale are Schnitzel, Fastnet Rock, I Am Invincible, Reduce Choice, Sebring, Piero, and Written tycoon. There's a strong international flavour with sires like Lord Canaloa, Deep Impact, Frankel and Tappet. There are 42 siblings to Group 1 winners and the progeny of 35 Group 1 winning mares. The preview magazine is available now and the final catalogue will be out in January. <laughs>